guys, welcome back to The Right Type. In today's episode, I speak with Adiba Jagadar, who is the author of The Henna Wars, which is out next week, May 12th. In this episode, we discuss everything from Adiba's brother's dead pigeon, um, dead pet pigeon, I should add, and we discuss culture and food and Eid and Ramadan and all things The Henna Wars and Sathic rom-coms. So I'm so excited to have her on. She's one of my best friends and I hope you enjoy this episode. So Adiba, just introduce yourself to everyone and tell us about you. So my name is Adiba Jagardar. I live in Dublin and I'm the author of The Henna Wars, um, which is a book about two teen girls with rival henna businesses who fall in love. And it's out on May 12th. Thank you for sharing. And I read The Henna Wars and I loved it and it's really good and you should all buy it. I'm gonna put all of the links in the show notes for you to purchase. And can you just tell us your publication journey? Yeah, so my publication journey was actually, I feel like it was quite fast um, and I was really lucky in that. So I first started querying with um, an adult literary fiction book. Um, I queried it for a couple of months, um, but it didn't really go anywhere. I think it needed quite a bit of revision. So um, I decided to stop writing that or stop working on that for a little bit and try to work on something that was a little bit different. Um, that's when I got the idea for the Hannah Wars and I started writing it. Um, and I just kind of focused on that for a while. Um, so that was in January, 2018, when I started writing the Hannah Wars. And by September, I was ready to query it. And I queried um, until October, which is when I got my first offer. So it was a really, really fast process querying for me. Um, and by November, I had signed with my agent. Um, so I was really, really lucky, especially because I think at that time, um, like Love, Simon had just come out and To All the Boys I've Loved Before had just come out. So everybody was like really into rom-coms. So I just like, I just had good timing, I guess. Um, and then after that, I went to sub quite fast. Me and my agent revised for about two weeks. Um, and then we went on sub. Um, the week after Thanksgiving in the USA. And I got my first offer um, on, or my only offer on the book in January. So that was also really, really fast. And obviously between November and January, like Christmas, where everything was closed for a while. So everything just happened like really, really fast for me. Um, I accepted the offer in like, February I think and it was announced in March um, and I really I loved my editor um, I spoke to her on the phone um, when she offered and I knew that she really got the book um, she was really excited about it um, so I was excited to work with her um, I think I was really lucky with my publication journey it happened really fast I think that publishing is kind of luck and timing anyway and um, I think that it's just always I guess hoping that the universe is like in the right place the right time when you're querying yeah because you need so many different factors to line up like it can't just be that you've written a good book it has to be that the market wants this book right now as well yeah I think it was a perfect time um for your book because everything was just like everyone was so excited about all the boys and your book has that strong energy of like the sister relationship also a really cutesy romance um and like kind of enemies to lovers-ish type thing um that's kind of similar Mm -hmm. to Lara Jean and um the white guy (laughs) and um yeah so (laughs) 
I think that, yeah, luck and timing is is what was at play. Also, obviously, amazing writing and a really good story. And um, what inspired the Hannah Wars? So I was inspired by, like, Hannah, basically. Um, I came up with the idea when I was in Bangladesh for the summer and I was visiting my grandmother and I had all these henna tubes and I was, like, trying to teach myself how to do henna. But I'm really bad at, like, any type of visual art. Um, I'm not very good at doing things with my hands. And with henna, you have to be like, you have to be really precise. Um, And it takes like a lot of skill that I unfortunately don't have. Um, So it kind of fled, or my failure kind of fled to the idea of like two people who were um, competing with henna businesses. Um, And then I thought, you know, what kind of ups the stakes there is cultural appropriation and also um, them being like romantically interested in each other as well. And that's really um, a cool idea. Like when you first told me about it, I was really like, I I was interested because I think I've never had anything like it before. Um, I don't think I've ever read a book with henna in it, but that's because maybe I'm not well read. But um, a YA book, I mean. Um, Maybe, has her name Sandhya Menon? Sandhya Menon? Yeah. Does she have any? Um, I feel like I read all of her books Mm -hmm. and I don't think she has any, I don't think she's included Hannah specifically in her books. I mean, the cover of When Dimple Met Rishi has like Hannah on the hands of the model. Um, I think I have a book that I bought recently, which is um, A Match Made in Mendy by, um, I can't remember the name of the author, Hannah. I literally have it like beside me. Yeah, A Match Made in Mendy by Nandini Bajpai. And it has like, it has a really pretty cover. It has like a pink kind of henna design. Um, and then there's a model in front of it. I haven't read it yet, so I don't know what part henna plays in the book, if any. But it's in the title, so I assume it plays some role. I mean, I I just feel like it's such a unique thing. And I, um, I was, when I was reading your book... Um, and I saw how like um, Pretty and Nishat were talking about henna. It reminded me of my school days when, because um, a lot of my friends were South Asian, um, when we'd have like the school fair and everyone would pay to get henna done for the school fair to raise money for the prom. And it just reminded me of that. Oh, and it was really? just so fascinating. Yeah, it was really cool. Like um, all my friends were just like, five of them would be doing everybody in the year groups henna and people would pay like two pounds each. And um we were, were raised like That's a lot of money really cheap. they should have they should have asked for more what kind of designs were they doing they did That's everybody's really entire cool. hand like their entire hand for two pounds yeah wow i thought it was a wow. ripoff loki that is no that is way too cheap like i have i have some cousins who are like they they do like they do henna really well and they have done like some professional work with henna design they definitely charge a lot more than two pounds especially for like a full hand that takes such a long time it took ages but also um something about it as well my friends are really good at it i don't know if it's something they do maybe at home or like um in a professional type way but they were really really good at it like i've had henna done for like um eid and ramadan and everything um at the mosque and um it's Mm -hmm. free there because yeah it's free there but like if i was to go to a different event it's usually at least 10 pounds and that's not even for the full hand sometimes 
So like I was really shook because they do it as well as them, the people that do it professionally. So yeah, I feel yeah, like I they feel were like played. That is where the pricing should start, like ten pounds or so. Because when I was when I was looking up or when I was thinking of um, how much Nisha should charge for for like the henna design, um, I actually looked up like. I looked at businesses in the UK because I couldn't find any in Ireland. So I was looking at like their price listing and I I chose Nishat's price based on what people were charging in the UK. And it was like, I'm pretty sure it was above 10 pounds for any design. Wow. No, um, I feel like, um, I don't know, people, like I think my head of year maybe was like saying how we have to remember that there's going to be like everyone from year sevens who are like 10 years old to like, six formers buying it so that's 10 to 18 year olds so like um people can't afford it but at the same time it's kind of like i don't know it was a lot of work they put into it and it was very very precise as you said so it was kind of surprising yeah. looking back like it's it's like it's so much labor yeah and their hands were hurting at the end and everything i can imagine because you have to like the way you do hannah like you have to hold your hands like in a certain way you would have like claw hands by the end if you're doing it for a long time let's move on from talking about henna <laughs> <laughs> i wanted to ask you a question okay go on um is henna like a big thing in nigerian culture um i don't know if i can say i can speak for nigerian culture because i haven't been there um so i don't know how big a deal it is um i think mm-hmm. alima will know more alima's our mutual friend but um yeah i think that for Nigerian Muslims it is but okay. I don't know about Nigeria in general most of Nigeria is Muslim so um probably mm-hmm. that's all I can say because um it's like since I was young hen has been a like a part of my life so I never really thought of it as um not part of Nigerian culture until I got to secondary school and the only people that were doing it were my uh, South Asian friends so then I started to think oh is it even a Nigerian thing but um did, yeah did you have like Arab Arab people in your school? Um, I want to say no. Most of my friends okay, were Indian. I feel like I feel like Arab culture um also has like a lot of henna in it. Because so uh, the reason why I'm asking is also because um when I was like researching like henna designs and stuff, I wanted to see like um how I well because it was about like I'm writing about cultural appropriation obviously, so I wanted to know like what cultures actually have henna but i didn't find a lot about like african cultures other than like arab countries um because like arab henna designs are very different from like south asian henna designs okay so i would just be interested to know about that i guess i'd be interested to know as well i'm gonna ask around in my family what they know because like i really yeah i really love henna and i've always wondered i guess um if it came with islam to nigeria or if it's something yeah, that I is recent like that's very possible because i feel like it's a very muslim thing i think to south asia it probably came from although i don't know because i remember when i was younger we had like a henna plant and stuff okay um like outside my grandmother's apartment we like planted a henna plant and then we would take the leaves and we would like get the henna paste that we would use that to apply henna um, so maybe the henna plant is something we have in Bangladesh. I mean, your childhood was very, very interesting. You had a henna plant, you had a pet pigeon. Um, <laughs> so like, 
I mean, I had multiple and, pet pigeons actually. That's just wild, and I really need to like hear a story about that. I mean, we'll work on it. We'll work on you writing a story about a pigeon. We had a pet parrot who died of a heart attack. I told you about that. But right? who? Yeah, you did. But like, who killed it? Like, who made it stressed? He, I don't think the the parrot wasn't stressed. He was like, I think he just suffered some heart condition, oh, okay. and he had basically he had this medicine that he was supposed to be given for his heart. Um, so every day he was supposed to get like a bit of this medicine, and apparently, like I don't have memories of this, but my brother told me about this because it was his parrot. Um, like apparently. Like this one day, he went to my grandmother, who was the one giving the parrot the medicine, and he was like, "It's time for the parrot to get his medicine." And my grandmother was like, "Yeah, wait, I'm like busy doing something. Give me like a couple minutes." And then when she went to give the medicine, the parrot had died. That's really sad. But also, I have to ask, um, your brother owns the pigeons as well. Does he have a thing for birds? My brother like just loves animals. He Why? like growing up so in my in my house or i had a lot of house in bangladesh but in one of um, my houses i live with my grandparents we had like this huge open yard in front of our house um and so my grandfather he would buy like live fish um and then he would kill them and then he would like we would like cook them to eat and he specifically bought the live fish because my brother loved to play with the fish before they were killed. And then in my, like, so I, like, this was in Taka, that's where I live, but I'm actually from Silet, um, which is like another region in, in Bangladesh. So in our village in Silet, um, my family had like farms and stuff. So there'd be like chickens, there'd be ducks, there'd be goats, there'd be cows. And, and every time we went to visit like our village in Bangladesh, my brother would like, chase them around and play with them and stuff like he just loves animals can't relate um i don't know I how you have a sibling either. i don't know how we're related because i know you don't like animals so i'm wondering how that even works out yeah so like the thing is the pigeons they were like technically our pets but my brother just like forced the pet on me if that makes sense that's so unfair and i'm sorry you went <laughs> through that when i meet your brother i'll be having a serious word with him we'll go to his house though because it's full of fish Oh gosh, actually, I like fish because I. Let me not say that on a podcast. Um, <laughs> one of my friends' fish died mysteriously after I visited her house. So, next oh. question: How was the publishing journey as a woman of color? Um, <laughs> it was, it was interesting. Um, I think, like I said before, I had a, I was very lucky during my publishing journey, so everything happened quite fast. Um, but even with that being said, I feel like I would get some rejections that were um, kind of coded. Um, I would get rejections that I know I wouldn't be getting if I wasn't a woman of color. I can't really say anything specific because I feel like if I do, it would be a bit shady. Um, but I definitely got some rejections that, you know, wanted wanted the book to be different. They wanted it to be like, I guess not as cultural. Um, yeah, that's all I can really say. And also you had the issue of um, your book being set in Ireland. Me and Adiba are going to do a episode on US centrism one day. But yeah, you had an issue with that as well. Yeah, 
I did have issues with that. I don't I don't necessarily know if I did, but I remember after I actually like actually got my book deal and everything, I had a thought about like the ways in which me writing my identity were possibly a boundary to me. So obviously I'm writing about um, like Bengali people, I'm writing about queer people, I'm writing about Muslim people. Um, and then at the same time, I'm writing about them being in Ireland. So I was thinking like, how are these things boundaries to me? Um, and I want, wouldn't want to change like writing about the identity that I do but I would consider changing, I guess, writing about it being said in Ireland because that seems like the thing that's the least personal to me or the least important to me in all of that. So I asked my agent and I was like, do you think that this is like a reason why, you know, Saturday's rejected the book? Do you think this is something that I should think about when I'm writing another book? And he was kind of like, like, I can't say for sure, but I know that I've like there have been authors that I represented who have been told you need to change the setting of your book to the US um, so like it's not that I know something it, it's not that I know about it for sure that this is something that has prevented me from being published or will prevent me from being published but it, I do think it can be a barrier yeah and even like um, it's one of the reasons why I uh, considered writing Ace of Spades in America. I mean, it is set in America. When I was like writing my next book, which was Ace of Spades, I was thinking firstly what setting I wanted, but obviously it all came together because of the history element that needs to be in there. Um, but yeah, I think definitely because of publishing centering America so much, it's something that a lot of people outside of America have to consider when they're writing. Yeah, I think I, I should also add that I think I'm lucky in a way because people really like american people really love ireland um so i think in that way i guess it's also it can be a barrier but there's a privilege to it that maybe other countries don't have as well there is a very strong irish american relationship yeah i've noticed but also i think i'm lucky in the sense as well because people love london and so if i was to try and write mm. something in london um i wouldn't have as much issues as someone that was writing something that was in a place that wasn't as the word isn't fetishized the word is like um what's the word like you know when they romanticize romanticize that's it <laughs> we don't fetishize london <laughs> but yeah they romanticize london like actually something funny that made me laugh i was watching actually i don't think i can say that because i think that um it breaks, it breaks a boundary but okay i saw someone on twitter who's obsessed with london and england and in their room at one point all over their room they had just like union jack flags everywhere and if you were like that in the UK, it's kind of almost like having the Confederate flag. Um, not the same at all, but it's like, usually people that have it all over their houses, they want to kill black and brown people. <laughs> like they're very nationalist. They're very nationalist in a way that is kind of scary. Like they will kill you. Um, so... Honestly, um, when, I, when I moved to the UK for my master's, um, my friend gave me a gift and she gave me, it was basically like this notebook and had the Union Jack on it and I was like, oh, thank you but I still have it I haven't written in it because I'm like I feel like I'm being colonised just looking at it <laughs> Oh, you should write like your col like colonial book in it writing about Winston Churchill My I Hate Churchill book Yeah <laughs> <laughs> And you can also deface it Coloniser <laughs> And I was wondering 
what are some of your favorite rom-coms that are similar to your book um well i love to all the boys i've loved before both the book and the movie i love basically anything by sandia menon but my favorite book by her is from twinkle with love um in terms of movies i love bend it like beckham because i feel like it's quite reminiscent of the henna wars in a lot of ways and it's heterosexual but it shouldn't be i keep on hearing that about that movie yeah because it's like i just feel like it really didn't need to be heterosexual like it really didn't need that so many things force heterosexual like heterosexual relationships and if that's what you want to do in your own home that's fine (laughs) (laughs) but don't bring that here (laughs) yeah just keep it to yourself please thank you i'm not i'm not heterophobic or anything i just don't believe um, the kids should see that. <laughs> if you could take any of your characters out to lunch, who would you pick and why? I think I would pick Pretty, Just because I feel like it would be a very entertaining lunch with her. She's a very um, intense character. I'd pick her too. I think she's the most interesting character. She has a lot to say. And I feel like um, we talk about a lot. I think that your other characters are very interesting, but Pretty is definitely my favorite. Yeah, I feel like I feel like if you t- took like Nishat or Flavia to lunch, like you would have a good time. But if you took Pretty, you would be really entertained. Exactly. I don't want to just like have a good time. I really <laughs> want like entertainment. Your book discusses Nishat's culture and religion, which is a very refreshing thing to read. Um, as a Muslim myself, what is your favorite? thing about Irish culture and Bengali culture? (laughs) The silence. I was like, do you not like your culture? No, I do. Um, It's just like, it's so much. I'm keeping the silence in so people know that you don't like your culture. No, I like my culture. I just... There's so much, and I, I I wrote an answer about Bengali culture in an interview recently. I don't know if I want to say the same thing, if I want to say something different. Um, I'll say the same thing, because this is interesting. So, something I really like about Bengali culture, Bengali culture is really focused on, like, weddings. So, um, when you have, like, a wedding of, like, a relative or something, what usually happens is, for a couple of days before the wedding everybody goes to like the wedding house it's like the house of like the groom or the bride whichever side you're on and um everybody basically just stays there for the whole day um you would usually sleep there unless there is like no space on the floor or the beds then you might go somewhere else um but you just spend like all your time there you eat your meals there um you prepare for the wedding um you just like hang out and i feel like it's a really like it's a really nice tradition that we have just because it's such a great time to like spend time with all of your cousins and all of your relatives there's always really good food um and it's just really fun and also like i feel like some really crazy stuff happens when you get together with all of your cousins and stuff so um just to tell a story or an anecdote um when one of my aunts was getting married um we all were at the wedding house and we're staying there and somebody's camera got stolen or somebody's camera got lost i guess 
and one of my cousins was like um it was stolen by a djinn i don't know why he thought that but that was just his first thing he was like it was stolen by a djinn so he was like we need to call a djinn to the house and then we will get the camera back and like so my family we have a really big family so we have people who have all levels of like faith i guess people who totally believe in jinns people who are very skeptical um one of my aunts is was like literally so terrified of jinns she didn't sleep for the entire night that this happened um but basically like one of those nights um after the wedding before the reception this cousin got together a group of men to call a jinn into the house um, so that he could ask this gin about the camera um, because apparently it was that important. Um, and like all of us cousins were like waiting outside the room. We were like, what's going to happen? Like, is a gin going to come? Um, it was a very, it was a very interesting night. Um, like we were literally up for all hours of the night. The gin did not come, um, probably unsurprisingly. And the camera was found to be in somebody's bag who had already left to um, another city. So yeah, it was a it was a very interesting night. So these are the kind of things that happen when you get all of your family together in a wedding house. Um, I agree. I mean, not in a wedding situation, but I think when you have cousins together, thing like wild things happen. As you know, the Ramadan story about my family, where my cousin almost died, um, and it definitely was not do my I fault. Do I know this story? Yes, you do. The one I got run over. No, I don't remember this. Yes, you do. I've told you so many times. You know the one, like, my cousin that got run over during Ramadan? No. And, like, everybody thinks it's my I... fault. No, I don't remember this. Okay, we'll discuss Why this another time. Why do you think it's your fault? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But it wasn't my fault. I want everybody to know that. If you say so, you're not, like... You're saying it's not your fault, but you're not showing your work. You're not proving it. Well, basically, my cousin got run over and I wasn't driving the car. So how was it my fault? <laughs> anyway. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> um, I, I witnessed it. That's why it's my fault. I just saw it happen. <laughs> Everyone was like, you could have stopped okay. it. But I was like... Um, yeah, you should have pushed him out of the way. You should have taken, taken one for the team. Wow, I should have I should have gotten hit because of like my cousin. Wow, <laughs> but I'm really angry because we haven't had a Ramadan like that since because everybody's scared someone will get run over again. And it was the best Ramadan because we had like a barbecue and I told you we had the Quran cake, not Quran cake, the the blasphemic cake, the one of Mecca. Oh yeah, the <laughs> oh my god! Now I I remember you telling me about the cake because it's oh. blasphemy. So I left out the actual important part of the story that someone got always got killed, and I told about the cake. You were like, we had a blasphemic cake, um, but never mind about the person who got run over. <laughs> but yeah, we can't ever have like a Ramadan again because like I'm not Ramadan Eid again because everyone is like scared. But anyway, <laughs> next question. <laughs> Wait, I didn't I didn't answer the second part of your question. Oh yeah, Irish people. Yeah, what is like your favorite part of Irish culture? This one is difficult. Um, what do I like about Irish culture? I like I like a lot of things about Irish people. I like um, Irish people are like really laid back, and 
I like that. I feel like like Dublin is obviously one of the major cities um, in Europe, especially since we're like an English speaking um, country as well. Um, and it's very cosmopolitan. But I don't think you feel like you're in like one of the major cities of uh, Europe when you're here because everybody's not like rushing around all the time. Um, people are pretty chill in Dublin and I like that. It sounds like Scotland. I feel like Scotland is more chill. Really? Yeah. Wow. Although, I don't know. When I went to Scotland, there weren't that many people there. Where were you guys? <laughs> you were there when I was there. Wait, is this Glasgow you're talking about? No, I was talking about Edinburgh. Oh. Um, I feel like... When, when we were in Edinburgh, like, it wasn't super busy. Is that what Edinburgh is usually like? Um, you were there on a weekend, which is so weird because it should be like really busy, right? Um, yeah. Well, I've been all over Scotland, and I think that um Scotland's definitely not that busy, but Edinburgh is like the busiest. No, yeah, Edinburgh. No, <laughs> I think Glasgow's the busiest, and then Edinburgh is quite busy in my opinion, and Aberdeen is just kind of a ghost town most of the time. Um. So when I went to Glasgow. I didn't feel like it was super busy either. And I was there... When was I there? Maybe during the Easter holidays? I actually can't remember. I was there for a while. I was there for like a week or two weeks or something. Um, and it wasn't super busy. And I was like in the part where there's a lot of Asians. And it still wasn't that busy. I feel like there's like a... There's a certain feeling when you're in a part especially with the UK, when you're in a part of the UK that is Asian. Like, for example, if I go to Manchester and I go to the part of Manchester where there's all the Asian shops, there's, like, this hectic feeling to it. I don't know how to explain it. Or if I go to London and I go to, like, Green Street or something, um, or what's that other place? Brooklyn. There's, like, or a happening. certain feeling. But I feel like... Are you saying that the vibe of Asians is, like, the Nicki Minaj song, Roman Holiday? <laughs> No, it's not that vibe. But I don't know how to explain it. It's not that kind of hectic. But there's like a... There's a certain feeling to it. And this is South Asian, not just Asian. Um, One question I wanted to ask you. Um, I actually just had an interview with Dean Atta. I'm not sure when that's coming out. Probably a few months after this airs. But um, we're talking about how in the Financial Times, I believe it was... Um, they said that Dean's like Dean's book, The Black Flamingo, it deals with like homophobia with the Jama- like with Jamaican culture and stuff, and also how his family weren't accepting of him, and it completely doesn't. In his book, he has a whole community of Jamaican people that accept his sexuality, and there was no like issues. And you've read the book, right? And so mm-hmm. like they kind of made assumptions, and I was wondering, have you experienced anything like that where people make assumptions based on preconceived notions of what they believe a Muslim um, family or community is like, or Bengali family or community is like? Yeah, definitely. I think I've especially felt it with um, with regards to the Muslim representation in the book, because I've seen like um, a lot of kind of lists and stuff that the Hannah Awards has appeared on that they will say like Nishat is struggling with her um with the homophobia of like her conservative Muslim family 
Um, and it's really interesting to me because I don't think it says anywhere like on the blurb that her family is conservative. And even um, like at the very beginning of the book, Nishat says that she always thought her parents were like pioneers for the future because they moved them here and they did things that would maybe not be considered um, like correct in Bengali culture, but they still did it. So Nishat really thinks that her parents are like these pioneers and that's why she feels like she can come out to them. Um, and that's why she's kind of surprised by their response because she's like, I thought like I thought maybe they would have some negative reactions, but she didn't expect it to be the way that it is. Um, and I just think it's interesting because um, there is obviously, there's a lot of like misconceptions about Muslims in the media. Um, people have a lot of their own baggage when it comes to Muslim people. They have like very specific beliefs and um, they really come from like misrepresentation in like the media, um, like in the news and stuff. So I think people just are coming at the book with their own idea of what it must be about. Whereas in the book, um, Nisha's parents are actually not very pious at all they don't practice islam very much i think they pray like once in the entire book so they don't really like praying um and they like i think the thing that they do is they use their religion to justify their homophobia rather than the homophobia is justified in their religion if that makes sense yeah that makes a lot of sense and um it's interesting because um even people that have probably read your book same with dean um they read what they wanted to read even when they've finished reading your book um and they read what they what wasn't there basically and um it's really important to have books like this that kind of break people's or like shatter people's expectations because um the more books we have like this the less we'll have people assuming things about muslims and um I wanted to do the same actually with my book because there's a lot of homophobia in my book in the black community because I wanted to address um, the way kind of homophobia happens in the black community but I didn't want it to be a, like an overall message of black people are uniquely homophobic. I just wanted mm. to show what it looks like and then I had to also, because it's a one, it's one book and it can also make people think that that's what the case is, I had to make sure that there was an overarching thing at the end that there are people that will love and accept you anyway that are in the black community so um i think it's very important that you wrote this book and i hope that people listen to this and kind of be less um make less assumptions and not see the muslims as uh, a monolith yeah i hope so too and actually something that's been really interesting to me is also that um nishad goes to an all-girls catholic school and she also faces homophobia um, in the school and she faces like racism in the school. But it's interesting that people um, assume that because her family is Muslim, they're homophobic, but they don't assume the same of the school or the people in the school, even though they're both religious entities or they both represent a certain religion. Um, so yeah, that that's is interesting. interesting. I, I think that's very very interesting and I think that um, people I think people see Catholics or strong Catholics as definitely probably homophobic but it's different with Muslims they see us as uniquely um, I don't know uniquely violent and uniquely like prejudiced I guess 
Yeah, I think what people assume is like, when people think of like Catholicism or like a lot of Christian religions, I think they assume that the default is like people are um, not strong followers of their religion. Like they're kind of um, atheist, but they have, I guess, some like um, some ties to the religion. You know, like a lot of yeah. people get baptized and they get confirmed and stuff, but they don't necessarily follow the religion. They don't go to mass every Sunday or whatever. But they expect the opposite of Muslim people. They're like, basically all Muslim people pray five times a day. They fast all the time, um, et cetera, et cetera. They believe all of this stuff um, and they're really strict. Um, but maybe there's like a few who aren't like that. Yeah. Whereas that's not really the case. And it's also so dependent on like culture. Like just like Christianity has all these different sects, like Islam also has all of these different sects and we have like different beliefs depending on the sects. Like um in my in my sect of Islam, we have like for example in when we pray Isha, so that's like the for anybody who doesn't know, that's like the night prayer. When we pray Isha, we play we pray these like three rakats which I think a lot of other sects of Islam don't pray because I remember telling my Arab friend about this. She was like, what are you talking about? You're not supposed to pray like three rakas extra. And I was like, but my mom told me that I have to. <laughs> um, <laughs> what type of Muslim are you? That's a good question. Um, I'm a Sunni, okay. but I don't know what I am inside being a Sunni because there's like two different sects inside there as well. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm a... I think I'm a Hanafi. Okay. But I'm not sure. I don't know why I am either. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Muslims don't know. They're just like a Muslim. Yeah, that's... It's really um, <laughs> funny, but like... Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think they expect us to be strict. Like, I remember... I just remember over the years, whenever I tell someone I'm a Muslim, their whole demeanour and their whole approach towards me changes. They're like, oh, does this offend you if I do this? Oh, does this offend you if I do this? And I'm like, we've known each other for, like, years. Why are you suddenly acting this way? Um, and, like, I've got so many Muslim friends. And I think if you just see the diversity of the way people act, especially because we all come from different cultures and households, so we all approach it differently. It's just so interesting. And you realise that we're not a monolith. Actually, I went to one of my friend, my sister's friend's um, praying thing she had at her house. I don't know why we went. And it was so interesting to see because... Um, they are, I think, oh, were they Bangladeshi? Sorry, I gasped because I always tell Adiba she's the first um, Bangladeshi person I met, but that might be a lie because maybe I just didn't realise before. I think she was Bangladeshi, you know. Anyway, her name is Taslima. Is that a Bangladeshi name? Yeah, I feel like that is a Bangladeshi name. Oh my God. <laughs> you're not the first, you're not special. Anyway, yeah, her name was Taslima. We went to her house and she had like a Muslim praying thing happening and when they were praying I was like what prayer is this and then I realized oh it's um it was a what was the prayer I don't know it was a prayer that I knew and it just sounded different because of culture and stuff and pronunciations and I was like whoa um but yeah Muslims are very different we're not a monolith and I think people think we're strict and I agree with you they think that Christians can be laid back and they think that we're all rigid but yeah but we're really diverse yeah exactly um and the next question is food plays a major part in your book what is your favorite dish from bangladesh more silence because we have a lot of really great dishes wait did you hear that silence guys like she she does not like 
Bengali. There was no silence. There was silence. I can see it on my screen right now. There was a silence. She's literally. Wow, lies. Are you even from Bangladesh? Have you been lying this entire time? More silence. Um, no, I haven't. <laughs> okay, what? I mean, I can literally just start speaking Bengali to you. But I wouldn't know. No, you wouldn't know. So, how, how, who are you to judge how Bengali I am? You know what? I'm sorry. I mean, I didn't say how Bengali. I meant, are you in Bengali in general? Are, are you even... Are you from um, the earth? I am from the earth. Okay. What's your favorite Bengali food? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, there's a lot of different Bengali dishes that I love. So, it's a difficult question. Um, but I really love dal so i love anything with dal in it so um some of my favorite dishes with dal are um it's something called morikonto which is basically dal but it has like fish head in it um it's like fish head mixed with dal it tastes really nice um and then because ramadan is is it gonna be ramadan when this when this um is up yeah okay so because it's Ramadan now, I should also say that I love um, I love something called halim. I don't know if it's specifically a Bengali dish, but we always have it during Ramadan. And it's basically like dal with like a lot of spices. So it's usually very spicy. And then there's like meat in it as well. Um, and it's like, we always have it during Ramadan. Like it's like if you don't have halim at least once during Ramadan, have you even had Ramadan? And what is dal? Dal is like lentils. Oh, so I would die. Yeah, this is why I feel so sad. Because if I were you, I wouldn't be able to have dal, and I would cry all the time. No, I feel sad. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I went to um, I went to a um, restaurant with um, I'm gonna say her name wrong. I'm so sorry, Tammy. But her name is not like that. Like. You, I'm saying it wrong. I'm saying it in a British that, way. That's her. That's her. That's the westernized version of her name. Yeah, my friend Tammy. She basically. <laughs> what do I say? It just sounds so British. Like I'm a colonizer. Um, my friend Tammy. Um, she took me to an Indian restaurant called Dishoom in London, and it was amazing. But like, you have to be very careful because um, I'm allergic to legumes, which is like um lentils and chickpeas and stuff. And there's a lot of like that in um like a lot of South Asian dishes, and I knew that growing up, which is why I've always avoided um having Indian food because I was scared I would die from an allergic reaction. I've also avoided um South American food because also there's a similarity there um with that, and also some Nigerian food. Actually, most Nigerian food. Basically, I can't eat what a lot. What do you eat? I I basically eat the same meals all over again. Like, um, popular Nigerian dishes have everything I'm allergic to. And so when my mum's cooking it, I have to leave the house. Otherwise, I'll die from the smell. That's so sad. Yeah. You know what I want to do? I want to come to your house and then your mom can cook me some nice Nigerian dishes and you would just have to sit there and cry because you can't that's, eat it because you're allergic. That's really mean. Like, I thought you were going to be like, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, like, prepare something that doesn't have anything you're allergic to. I was, like, getting happy. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> She has a solution, and then you said you're gonna make me cry. Are you gonna eat my mom's food? I mean, I'm not gonna make you cry. I'm just gonna be there to eat your mom's food, and you're gonna cry. You're directly you're making it. me cry by doing that. That's really mean. Okay, I I can like I know dishes 
from Bangladesh that don't have any dal and stuff in it, like biryani, which you, I think you had that in Dishroom, right? Yeah, I did, but also my, my um, best friend, she's Pakistani and biryani is all she eats. She like, I remember one, like <laughs> one week she just started crying. She was, was just like in class and she was crying and she was like, I haven't had biryani since last night. And I was like, wow, I need to try this. I feel like if I lived in the UK, I would be like her, or a lot of people would be like her if they lived in the UK, just because you can find like South Asian food so easily there and it's all like halal and stuff. Yeah. There's a lot yeah, of halal stuff. Like is there a lot of halal stuff in um, Dublin? No, there isn't a lot. There's some, but not a lot. That's awful. Like, generally, I'm not that strict about halal stuff. But if I can get it, which I can in London, um, I'll, I will, basically. Because it's very easy. I feel like in London, it's more difficult to not find halal stuff than to find yeah. halal stuff. <laughs> oh, my God. I remember there was, like, this news thing about, like, this white woman was like, I don't want the halal stuff. Why can't we have normal stuff? And I was like, sis, it's not that deep. <laughs> I remember there was this like documentary and it was these British people trying to buy stuff for like their Muslim like Muslim guests I guess and they were like you have to get halal lettuce and I was like what? they're like mum it's not halal I only eat my lettuce halal exactly um, and the last question I have for you is what do you want readers to take away from reading the henna wars? I think I want them to take away like the message that they should be proud of who they are and they should feel comfortable with who they are and expressing that um, because that's really um, kind of what Nisha struggles with in the book. She like she's happy to be herself. She's proud of who she is, but other people um, aren't. Other people try to make her into something that she isn't. So I hope that readers um, go away from the book taking the message that they should be who they are and they should be happy with that even if there are outside forces that don't want them to be themselves you should feel comfortable in your own skin that's an amazing message um thank you so much for being my podcast could you tell everybody where they can find you on twitter and instagram and your website yeah so my website is adibajagardar.com my twitter is adiba underscore j and my instagram is d-i-b-s underscore j thank you and could you just leave the listeners with um some final words of wisdom hydrate